Everybody ready for some word today? All right, let's go to Romans chapter 4. If you brought a Bible, please turn with me. If you don't have one, we'll put some of these things on the screen for you to follow along and know that we're not making it up. Uh, Romans chapter 4, we want to continue a series of messages that I started a number of weeks ago. This series is called Convinced, and I have recognized the great necessity and value of being convinced of things that are important in life, and I understand that that God's relationship with me is not solely based upon His will, although that relationship is His will and His will is the foundation of it, but it is also contingent upon my will. It is, a, it is contingent not only upon even what I want, although that's a good starting place, uh, it is also contingent upon what I accept from Him that it's true. And when I become convinced of a particular promise or truth from God, then and only then, that thing becomes a reality in my everyday existence. You can experience God today, right here, right now, or... You know, you and I, we could live our lives as if He doesn't exist. He could be so foreign. His power, His availability, His, His wisdom, all these things could be so distant from us as if they're not even there. But that difference is really up to us, not up to Him. Because He's constant. The Bible said He changes not. He remains the same always. And it's, it's us that are often in a, in a position of flux where we're, uh, you know, uh, going back and forth. But when we become settled, when we become sure, we have that sure footing in life, then we experience what He says. It's just the way that God is, okay? Let's look at our, uh, at our, our text for this uh, series of teachings again. Romans 4, verse 20, reads, talking about Abraham, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. All right? And so, and therefore means, well, because he became fully convinced, it was accounted to him. The absence of a person being convinced of something hinders God's will from coming to pass in their life. Now, I know for some that kind of uh, statement, that type of thinking is new. I'm aware that there are many um, people in the body of Christ today, and they're truly saved. They're not, you know, they're, they, they're loved by God, going to heaven, everything else. But people have been taught that whatever God wants to do, that's just going to happen, period. Hmm. That whatever His will is, that's just the way it is. And if something doesn't happen, it's because of, uh, that God didn't want it to happen. And then words like sovereignty and control and all these things are thrown into that discussion to where it ends up, basically, we become uh, inconsequential as far as what we believe, what we say, what we choose, and it's all on the Lord. And the problem with that is, you know... Well, other than it being a bummer if your life is bad. Uh, the other problem with that is it's not true. 
I mean, if you, if you study the, the life and ministry of Jesus and the things that he said, you will see over and over and over again that he would point to an individual's belief as being the reason for them experiencing a healing or, or a victory in some area of their life. He would say things like, according to your faith, be it unto you. Remember that? You know, he said that over and over to various people. So I can't dismiss that and say, well, that was true in their day, but now it doesn't matter what I believe. I mean, you know, things happen and you just have no control over life and what's com- what comes and what goes. And, and listen, I don't accept that. I, I just don't. I don't see it as being consistent with the Word. And I'm paralyzed in helping anyone. I mean, if someone comes to me and, and they've got a lot of trouble in life, I mean, the best I can do is give them a shoulder to cry on. And that might be of some value, but, I mean, I'd rather have help. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'd rather have solution. I'm glad that someone cares, but I'd rather have hands that can be laid on the sick and they recover. I'm glad that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm glad that if you knock, it'll be open. If you seek, you'll find. If you ask, it'll be given. You know what I'm talking about? These are change scriptures, not just, it'll be all right. And someday, in the sweet by and by, you'll go up to the sky, and everything will be fine. All right, let's go on. Let's talk some more about being convinced. This is essential and necessary for our lives. In the last few weeks, I've said these things to you, that we become convinced. You know, our hearts get to a place like David when he, when he ran after Goliath, which physically and naturally speaking would have been foolish, knowing that he's going to take him out. Our hearts become convinced so that we can do and be more than we can even imagine on our own by evidence. Remember, we talked about evidence. We said, we said, first of all, that eyewitness testimony to the work of God and the things of God happening, that is a convincing force in our lives. Secondly, remember I said uh, that um, the testimony of others' experience is a powerful force in convincing our own hearts as well. It's one of the reasons we, we, we share testimonies regularly. Let's hear about God moving. Someone might be skeptical, they might be uncertain, but when the person's sitting next to you, or when they're your best friend, or they're in your family, and they experience something that is of God, promised of Him, and, and it's a reality today, that can be impacting. I've got to at minimum deal with that and try to explain it. But it can help me to get to a place where I'll experience the same. Third, you recall we said that uh, we become convinced through personal revelation. This is the, the reality of God pulling the veil back and showing us things that previously did exist but were just um, kept from our sight. They were kept from our view. All right, And so personal revelation, God by His Spirit showing or revealing things to you. That's a powerful experience in God. And you become convinced that way. And then number four, we shared this with you last week, that we become convinced by experience. And when I say experienced, I'm talking about use or the practical, real-life application of what we have seen through revelation or evidence or testimony of others. We take it and we put it into practice in our lives. Only then does it truly become ours. We only have real, true ownership when we use 
what we have heard and what we know. You see, um, I, I think in in Christian circles, a lot of times what people are doing is is we come we get to a place where we hear something, we hear a truth, we hear something that's good, and then we uh, we accept it or we talk about it, we ascribe to it, and that's the end of the equation. Where the reality is, if that is the description of how I understand God, Christianity, a relationship with Him, it's absent something very important. And it will never be precise in its explanation of what a relationship with God looks like. It's designed by Him that it would go from, I hear about it, I hear a word taught, I hear a testimony, I hear the story, I accept, and then I put into use. Then I pick up the hammer and hit the nail. Then I mix the ingredients and put it in the oven. Then I, I take it from beyond, that's a nice message, to that's something, yes, I choose to accept that. I move on to a place of use. Then it becomes yours. Up until that time, you will misrepresent God in that area, whatever area, because you don't have real life experience with it. It's not truly yours. I don't mean what you would say from this second position, if you will, would be incorrect or or untrue. It just comes from a place that it's still in land of almost theory land. It's just mental. We've got to move beyond mental. God is not a mind. And he'll, he'll speak to us. We use our minds. But He wants us to go beyond where we can just talk about something. We just know about it to where we use it. It's ours. We pick it up. We know. We have experience with it. Then you tell someone about the Lord out of that. Then you deal with a person in crisis, a, a situation that's beyond repair. Then you deal with someone with a disease. And you've got experience with the healer in your hand. Come on now. It's just a whole another level of relating to God and experiencing Him. And this is what I want for me, and I'm experiencing this, and, and I want for everyone. Let's take God up on His Word and just act like He's true. Act like what He said was right, and let His experiences flow through us. No one will ever take that away from you. Praise God. Let, let me read you a, a verse Uh, In Mark chapter 4, you can turn there if you'd like, but you've heard this before, some of you have. Jesus said in Mark 4, 25, For whoever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's one of those verses that kind of annoys some people, right? Have you ever been annoyed by that? It's like, if I don't have anything, I'm going to take what I do have? Uh, Well, this is a principle in the kingdom of God, and it simply goes like this. If you use what's present in your life now, it'll increase. Whatever you have, even if it seems small to you, use it. Put it into practice. It'll grow. It'll expand. It will increase. But if you ignore, if you live in uh, mental land and, and just in the realm of I heard a message, I know about something, you'll lose it. It's the use it or lose it. Uh, principle. You might uh, say it that way. But one can be persuaded with a logical argument, but until it's acted upon, put into use, it won't truly become a permanent possession. 
All right. Now, it's kind of like, you know, revelation works that way. If you walk in the light, you'll get more light. If it says, the Lord spoke to me 14 years ago. He, he said, has he said anything to you since? <laughs> no, no, but it was powerful. Well, now, now watch. Here's what I think about that. I think that that person probably hasn't used what they got from God 14 years ago. Because the principle would be, you put it into practice, it grows. It increases. You get more and more. And in reality, why would, if you were God, why would you continually dump things, good things on someone who didn't do anything with them? All right? And, and this is where this relationship with God should be experiential. I mean, it works as natural things. If you do the right thing with money, you'll increase in, in money. You'll increase in finances. You do the wrong thing, and it goes away. Anyone ever seen that? <laughs> Probably all of us have in, in some area or not. But I would encourage you to be honest with yourself about what you are convinced of. All right? Another way to say that is what, whatever you believe, be true to yourself and others around you at concerning that. Sometimes we want to hold to ideals and we say, yes, I believe that, I believe that. You know, some people say, I believe the whole Bible. And uh, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't even know the whole Bible. How, how can you believe something you don't know? I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe there's a few scholars in here who know the whole thing. And uh, uh, But listen, I mean, I believe the whole Bible. There's statements in the Bible that aren't made by God, by the way. Do you know that? And you know, you know God didn't write the Bible? Yes, I believe God wrote the Bible. No, He didn't. God inspired people to write it. And they even wrote it with their own personality and perspective. God gave them inspiration. But you see quotations of, of people who were fools. And it tells, it tells us what they said. People who were ungodly tells us what they said. Do you believe that? Well, I believe it's an inspired account. It's an accurate record. But I don't believe everything that's said. Hmm. Right at the same time, again, you can't believe beyond knowledge. See, see what, why am I saying this? We, we want to be real with ourselves. If we're convinced of something, it will show up in our actions. If we're convinced, it'll curb our behavior what we do and if it's not then we shouldn't play games with ourselves we should work on our our hearts to so that we become convinced you know a lot of people around our circles will say i believe in healing well great most people do it's a whole other thing to believe that you receive your healing though you know it's like the apostle paul said in philippians my god shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus who's god no, Paul's God. <laughs> now, you might adapt that. That might be true for you. But just because he believed that God would supply his needs doesn't mean you believe God will supply your needs. Now, I would encourage it. <laughs> but just because, that, just because he did, that, that doesn't mean I do. And if I ever want to be convinced of things that I'm honestly not today, and, and I think we probably all have those areas, be real with ourselves. We say, I believe in this, I believe in this, but we act contrary to it. We should just step back and say, I want to believe in that. I want to be convinced of this truth. I want that to be a reality in my life, but <clears throat> I'm just not quite there. I think a big key to that is surrounding ourselves, not with naysayers, 
not with skeptics, but surrounding ourselves with people who do know their God. With sound, surrounding ourselves with people who are convinced and are baking the pie. Hitting the nail on the head. People that are taking it and using it and seeing the, 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 the power of God manifest. The, the promises of God, the wisdom of God show up in their own life. If I surround myself with those people and that type of environment, I am far more likely to be going that way. But if all day long I feed myself on, on ungodly stuff, on, on how life is horrible, you can never predict anything, you can never tell what's going to happen, everything is just gloom and despair and the world's going to hell in a handbasket and, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, listen, if I feed on that all the time, how in the world am I going to be convinced of what God said when it comes to my life and I need it? Okay, so the way I wrote it down here in my notes, I said, I wrote, surround yourself with convincing forces until you have the boldness to take it up for yourself. When you have the boldness to pick it up and run with it, you're laughing. I tell you what, things are going to come together in your life. Here's a, a quote from a, uh, a man named A.W. Tozer many years ago. He said this, the only man who can be sure he has true Bible faith is the one who has put himself in a position where he cannot go back. That's good, huh? How many times are we put ourselves in a position, you know, sink or swim kind of, kind of situation where we're not going back? That's when you know what you really believe, don't you? You know what you're, you're, you're really convinced of. Now, I want to share with you a few areas of recommendation here today. My personal pastoral recommendation of things to become convinced in. Really important areas. You see, not all things are equal uh, in life. Not really, uh, not all Bible verses are of equal importance in your life. Did you know that, that, that that's the case? Uh, we have an Old Testament. We have a New Testament. There are certain scriptures that apply more to us today, right here, right now, than others, even though they're all of value. Um, it, it's like, uh, have you ever wondered what the age of the earth is? Well, you know, I mean, you go, some places will tell you it's billions of years old, and some places, some will tell you, no, it's like 6,000 years old or 10,000 years old, and, and I'm not saying that's not a worthy discussion, but that's not primary, of primary importance that I get the date right. You know what I'm talking about? I can still be saved and have a relationship with God without knowing the date of the earth's origin. I can also uh, experience God, have a really good life, without being right about the date of the rapture. Or, as the Scripture says, when the church meets the Lord in the air and He comes back, right? I can be wrong about that and still have a really good life. Still have a real close relationship with God. Still experience Him. Not that it's unimportant. Obviously, it's in, it's in there, so we should study those, those type of things. But there are many things that apply directly to us and they impact us directly. And that's kind of what I want to zoom in on here for the rest of this this message here today. I want to recommend to you that you be convinced, number one, of God's love for you. 
convinced, absolutely certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt, no, without any question, that God loves you. That type of revelation, whether it comes through evidence, eyewitness testimony, the testimony of someone else, personal experience, you picked up the bat and hit the ball yourself, uh, however, and through whatever means this thing comes, knowing that God loves you will make such a major difference in your life in all areas of life. I'm not going to take today to teach on that per se and to convince you of it, but as you're reading yourself, as you're walking this thing out yourself and living with God, if you have ideas that run contrary to that, watch how it's crippling you. If you think that God's against you and not for you, if you live as if He's mad at you and wanting to slap you upside the head half the day, that will hinder your life and your relationship with Him. But if you know that even if you've sinned, even if you blow it, even if you fall in areas, that His love for you is, is a constant and it will never be removed. Oh, how freeing that is. How liberating it is to walk with a God who's not judging me, who's not slapping me upside the head, who has set me free by His amazing love. Now, Romans chapter 8, if, if you're still there in 4, you can count. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. 8.38. Paul wrote here, he said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice he said, I'm persuaded of this. Isn't that a word we're using? I am persuaded of this, that you cannot be separated from God's love. Will that have any kind of impact on our existence and on our, our experience? Man, so much, obviously we could do a series on that uh, and have before. But, uh, you know, the Bible says this, that perfect love will cast out fear. If you're, if you're afraid of anything, afraid of dying, afraid of a disease, afraid of a betrayal, afraid of losing a job, afraid of, afraid of, being, out, afraid of being out of money, whatever, whatever, afraid of spiders, <laughs> uh, whatever. Fear, how is it removed? It's removed by love. And it's not just you treating everyone nice. That's beneficial too. Helpful, especially to the other person. But we're talking about God's love toward you. If we understand that and have a, a revelation, let's say it this way, if we're convinced of that, we live fearless in life. I mean, imagine that. I, I, I realize that some individuals, when I say live fearless in life, you cannot imagine that. That's beyond your experience. It's beyond something you even have expectation of. But I tell you, it's possible. Don't focus on the fear. Focus on the love. And it'll drive it out. It's a powerful thing. That's why, that's one of the reasons, or a couple of the reasons there, why I want to encourage you, take time, whatever you need to take, look at, examine the evidence, and see that God loves you so much. 
And when you're settled in that, you'll love your spouse better if you're married. You'll you'll love friends better if you're you'll you you will be a uh, a better person all around with God's love toward you being understood. It's good. It's good. Say it with me. It's good. All right. All right. Number two. Number two. Here's another one. Uh, I think we should be convinced of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection. Of his sacrifice and resurrection. Here's another way I say that is the completed work of Christ. The completed work of Christ. I did a series a while back, in fact, just a number of months ago called It's Already Done. If you didn't hear that series, get it. It's online for free. Listen, I, it's a life changer. But, but watch. We, this, is, this will dramatically impact and affect our lives when we recognize that there's nothing else that God has to do to provide or to relieve or to heal or to save or to bless. He already did it all in Jesus. And I realize those are some pretty dramatic statements without a whole lot of explanation. But you'll see in Scripture, uh, here's one example. It's a brief, but Colossians 2.10. Colossians 2.10. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Not you're incomplete, but in Him you are totally done. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Finished. Totally complete. This This is good news. I mean, think about it. What if it, what if it were true that when we approach the Lord for in need of of healing or or needs being met or emotional help or relational uh, strength and, and and help needed, what if it wasn't dependent upon God saying yes or no, upon God it being His will or not His will? What if it were like this? He already answered and already provided when Jesus was raised from the dead. That would be really cool. I mean, imagine if God, concerning all the needs of my life, could not say no. Wouldn't that be amazing? Say, yeah, that would be cool. That would be real helpful. (laughs) Well, some of you know where I'm going. That is reality. That is reality. See, you saying God couldn't say no? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying concerning my sins forgiven, my salvation, my healing, my victory, my overcoming, my joy, my peace, all these things, the answer was already yes before I was even born. And so concerning all the the 99% of what people pray about and seek God about, the answer was yes before they ever prayed. And not only was it yes, it was already done. That's why this type of revelation, being convinced of that, oh, that's a biggie. That's a real biggie. It's a life-altering truth that we should get a hold of today. Yay! Anybody happy yet? All right, let me convince you. Let me encourage you to be convinced of another thing here here's here's the third one i recommend that you become certain and sure of god's plan for your life become sure certain convinced of god's plan for your life do you know that he has a good plan do you know that that he has good things in store see one of the one of the characteristics of hell 
is that people in hell have no hope. There is no expectation of things ever getting better. That's what makes it hell. One of the things I imagine. But the truth is, about our lives, no matter what is going on today, no matter what is happening in a, in a, in a, in a negative way, there is at least the possibility, we know, of things getting better, of things changing. And, and, and when we run God into the equation, we know that His plan for us is not for failure, is not for defeat, is not for depression, is not for, for hopelessness and all. No, He has good thoughts. He has good plans. There's a scripture that says that. It's Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11, the New International Version, reads this way. For I know the plan I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Alright, why is it so important that we become convinced of God's plan for our lives. Well, one is the general, what we just read here. We should, we're all equal in this regard. He doesn't have a plan for anyone to have a miserable life. For every single one of us, his thoughts, his plans are good. Hmm, say, well, that's news to me because you haven't seen my life. I'm not saying you're walking in his plan. I'm not saying all of us are experiencing his plan fully. Probably most of us to varying degrees. But his plan is good. If it's falling apart, good news. It can get better. Okay, that's the general thing. But even specifically, as far as our place in his plan, our, the specifics of his will for our lives, his design for our future. Um, when a person lives uncertain, they're also movable from that position. Whenever you are in the right place and you're doing the right thing, there's going to be opposition to your life. There will be people, there will be circumstances, there will be devil. (laughs) There will be situations that come against you to try to get you to quit doing the right thing and get over into the wrong thing. To move from a place of, of effectiveness, of fruitfulness, into a place of uselessness. All right, If you're ever doing something good, there'll be opposition. Some of it will come with a smile on its face. You know what I'm talking about? The super slick? <laughs> the super sweet? you never seen anyone smile that big right before they stabbed you in the back. <laughs> but there will be opposition in life. But when you're certain that you're in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing, you'll be unmoved. Or you're far more likely to be unmoved. But if we live our lives with, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know where my place is, what I'm good at, what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, then when the opposition comes, you're, you're quickly and easily uprooted. You're changing and you're getting the wrong place. And, you know, whenever you get in the wrong place, you also exit God's grace from working in you in that situation. Okay? And so, uh, so again, becoming certain. And I know that raises a whole lot of questions. Say, Pastor, I think I need a series on that one. Uh, About finding my place and knowing where I'm supposed to be. I know I'm not teaching that today. But I'm saying, make that a priority. Let it be in your prayer time with the Lord. If you're uncertain of where you're supposed to be. His plan for you is good. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. 
reads, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will never stumble. If you're what? If you're sure. All right, number four, here's another one. I recommend that you become convinced that God's power is available to all. That His power is available to all. Some have said, well, you know, you can't just like turn God on and off whenever you want. Well, I agree. But good news is God doesn't have an off switch. He's never off. He's always on. His power is always available to whoever would call upon Him and have need. Right? You don't even have to wait till tomorrow. You can, you can access God's power right here today. It's kind of like the, the outlets in the walls. You know, assuming that the connection to the building is good, which we have light and sound, so I'm pretty confident. You know, how many know if the power is available at all times, it's just a matter of plugging into it. But I can't be, I can't approach the Lord and approach His, um, his, his power, His willingness to work in my life as something that is in flux. Something that, you know, like in third world countries sometimes it, the power will be there one day and the next minute it won't or it will fluctuate and if they don't have a good system set up. But I need to approach God convinced that whenever I have need, whenever I put a demand on the power, it will be there 100% of the time. This has helped me tremendously to, to, in, in helping and ministering to others, realizing that it's not conditioned upon how I feel today. You know, you wake up and it's like, oh, is God even here? <laughs> you know, or, or, or you find yourself where someone comes to you and they have need or they have a physical need and they want you to pray for them and minister to them. And, and you immediately think, oh, man, I haven't prayed all day. I haven't been in the Word, haven't been in church, I'm feeling yeah, feeling far away from the power source or something of that nature. Well, this revelation fixes that. It really does. Is it an excuse to be uh, lazy and unspiritual? No. But I realize if I wake up in the morning and feel like I don't want to get up, or if I just dealt with a situation that sapped all the anointing, so to speak, out of me, <laughs> uh, God is always on. His power is always available. Jesus said in Mark 16 that believers would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. How many know? He didn't qualify that by if you've prayed a lot that day. Or if you've been in church that week. Or or if you've done these things, then my power will be available. No, it's just always on. It's just a constant in life. God is always available to us 24-7. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if you know that, how it affects your behavior and your activity when you run up into a situation where you need a manifestation of God's power. Yay! Say yay! Not sharing any bad news with you yet, am I? I think we're still in good news. All right, let me give you the last one for today. The last one. I encourage you to be convinced of His presence, God's presence and grace. His presence and grace. His presence is abiding. It's continual. It's always there in your life. Again, feel good, don't feel good. Committed a sin or didn't. How many know God doesn't leave you every time you do something wrong? Huh? 
He, he, he relates to us based upon His forgiveness, not upon our perfection. Not upon what we do right or wrong. Let me give you a couple verses. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Uh, he said in the middle of that, he said, I will never leave you or nor forsake you. That's a quotation of Jesus. It says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man, what can man do to me. And then Hebrews 4.16, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not only will He never leave us, His presence is always there, but He invites us. Personal invitation. Anytime you are in need of mercy, anytime you're need, in need of grace, grace is God's ability. It's His power. It's His favor that lifts you out of a situation. Anytime we're in need of mercy or grace, what do we do? He said, come boldly before me. How many know when, you're, when you need mercy, that's when you've blown it. That's you, when you want to hang your head. Yet He says, when you need mercy, when you need grace, come boldly before me. Boldly means head up. Confidence. Knowing for certain that I'm going to get exactly what I came for. Praise God. And His grace working in our... I tell you, it's everywhere and it's all the time available to us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And if we will acknowledge this and access His presence and power in our lives, His, uh, in, in particular, His presence and grace in our lives, oh, how that will make a difference in how we act. I want to encourage you today to avoid the trap of living without conviction. There are so many important areas of life that we must take dedicated, give dedicated attention, give specific time to, so that we become settled, certain, established, and then we live out of that place. Now you're walking with God. Now you're seeing what He wanted to do the whole time in your life. Praise God.